Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James Boyman here, joined as always by Ryan Williams. We are here on Wednesday, December 30th, a little disappointed after Everton's Monday match against Manchester City was abruptly postponed due to a supposed COVID outbreak in the Manchester City squad, the details of which we have yet to hear any 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 details about. Really, it's been kept under wraps and supposedly as of today, the city training facility has reopened and they've resumed training. So begs a lot of questions. I think we're going to swerve those questions for now, Ryan, but your <laughs> thoughts on the announcement on Monday? Well, public health is the most important thing. I think we agree with that for it, sure. It does seem a little dubious. I think the complaint from Everton is why did you not talk to us? You know, it seemed like Newcastle and Fulham uh, did it right the first time. And I think that's Everton's biggest issue. You know, why were we not part of the conversation? Ultimately, they're the ones that have to deal with their fans and it would have been a good assent. So that would really be the only concern. Everyone errs on the safe precaution in terms of um, public health. And I mean, yep. yeah, I'm sure we could invent some hot takes on this, but that, that really wouldn't be our style. I don't think not our style at all. And furthermore, I don't think anyone's really complaining about the match itself being postponed as given our injury concerns at the moment, it probably benefits us for the game to be played in a few months, but that is not what we are here to talk about today. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be thinking we're here to talk about the West ham match on new year's day, but no, we may touch on it a bit at the end, but for today's episode, we are going to do our regularly scheduled squad assessment. We did one back in August for the entire squad. We did one following the summer transfer window, the ATP cash cast. And as part of that analysis of the squad, we're going to start by looking at the attack where how we, how successful have we been? Where have we improved? Who's doing well? Who could stand to continue to improve a little bit? We're then going to look a little bit at the midfield, the possession, pass progression, passing, all that sort of stuff. And then we look at the defense, same thing, going to dig into individual performances, overall team metrics and stats. And then lastly, we have some feedback from listeners, which will be inter uh, dispersed throughout the show. And we're going to also talk about some potential rumors and players who may arrive at Everton. Will we do business? Will we not do business? Stay tuned. You'll hear our thoughts on the matter. But Ryan, I think... The place to start here is coming from John J. Soundwave asking the question on Twitter, how realistic is it that we'll even do business in January? Yeah. And on top of that, Halifax Dave kind of, you know, suggested and asked top three loans in and what we could forecast for January being realistic. So it's funny. There's a contrast there already. I, I don't think many people think we're going to do massive business, but um, on Toffee TV, we discussed Marcel Brands and his buying and selling history in January. And he's definitely done quite a bit of business. I know he says he doesn't like to do business, but the reality of it is, I think we only had maybe two windows where he did no business in January uh, or bought no one in January. And that's starting from his tenure at AZ, pardon me, AZ, there you go. Uh, <laughs> PSV and all the way through Everton. So um, not all the moves were massive, uh, but, but he's going to do something. I mean, it's just, uh, we're in a good position. We have injuries. Um, you would think he's going to do something. It's just a matter of how major. Um, and that's kind of the nature of the episode. I mean, I, I did a pretty, pretty, extensive article and look on Marcel Brands's 
transfer history business in January too. And he definitely did, did business. But um, so knowing he's going to do something, it might not be a ton of those things. Uh, that's kind of the episode, really. You know, we're going to walk through performance and see if we can identify some areas in which we should improve and where should we focus. And, and I think you, you, what you brought up is the year assessment we did in August. And um, what we did is we kind of concluded, we thought about what the goals were for this year. I, I don't believe those goals have changed. Do you? No, no, I, I, I think it's such a wide open league. And, and I say this almost every episode, but you're looking at like a 12 point gap between what 12th and the top of the table. It is tight. It is ridiculously tight. And so although the blues are sitting four points off top right now with a game in hand, some may be thinking that we're gearing up for a title push. And I'd be very surprised if that's the type of conversation that's going on in in the halls of Everton at the moment and in the, in the boardroom, because when we get into the metrics, you guys will see that although our position in the table is excellent, the underlying stats and metrics don't necessarily support that. And it's just been such a wild year, such a so, so closely congested and a lot of teams dropping points left and right teams going on streaks and two or three wins on the bounce can really do a lot for you as Everton have seen over the last several matches. So I don't think the goal of six has changed. I think, you know, in, five or six, even 10 games from now, we may be looking at a different picture and maybe we adjust those targets accordingly. But I think Carlo is going to be very steady. And we, our goal this year is to get Europe and do well in the, in a cup competition, potentially win a trophy. And, and I think that that is still the mandate for the rest of the squad as well. Yeah. Carlos said as much the other day, you know, after the match, does this change your expectations? He's like, no, no, the expectation is getting into Europe. He didn't even mention the champions league. I think that's, not beyond our wildest dreams, but I no. don't think that's something you should expect. And that's what we said. We said, you know, let's shoot for six. Let's try and get in Europa. I think that's a reasonable goal for this year. Um, it's not going to be easy. And no. so what we, we, what we did was we took, uh, I think it was five years and we said, okay, the last five years, goals for goals against what approximately was it? I think we came up with the sixth place person. And again, that doesn't mean we have to perfectly fit in those numbers, but Goals for was 62.2 and goals against were 42.2. So, um, and I think we figured out, you know, over the past year, you know, we needed like 12.4 more expected goals and 7.1 fewer expected goals against. So what we've done is we've kind of gone through all the numbers, looked at attack and defense. We did it before the Sheffield match too, in our defense, cut us, cut us a break. We weren't <laughs> going to redo all the analysis, um, but we did it. So let's start with the attack, James. I, I think that's, um, so we'll, we'll talk about the aggregate, the higher level numbers, um, and we're going to use a lot of expected goals. So I, I want people to make sure they understand what that means. That's not expected goals has kind of gotten a bad rap, mostly by people that don't know what the heck it is uh, and how it should be used. I mean, to talk about expected goals from a specific match is a little difficult, I think, you know, and we, we even talked about the last match and exactly how you would rate certain things and what your feelings are. You've got to look at historical data. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of examples of shots that have been taken over the years in the league that have been measured by all sorts of different parameters, whether it's traffic in front of the net, whether it's height of the ball, whether it's spin of the ball, movement, position on the field, angle. Things like that, whether it was your off foot, your raw, you know, things like that. There's also post shot expected goals based on the quality of the shot. So the point is that because goals are so infrequent, um, a better measure is chances created and chances created is represented by expected goals. But again, there's nothing subjective about it. They're simply looking at basic parameters over time. They, they use automatic monitors to do it now, machine learning and things like that. So it's not not like someone's guessing. Uh, some other place, and we're, we're talking about stats bombs, um, 
measurements primarily. Some of the other places like Understat and InfoGoal are fine. They're more, they're quickly, quickly driven. And thus it's the, it's interesting to talk about right after the match. But even last match, we noticed the Sheffield match, they included a shot that was offsides. Yeah. So it would never have been a shot. Um, so that being said, now that we're totally bored, um, <laughs> currently what we sit on right now is our current expected goals per match right now is 1.46. We're an eighth. That's what really matters. Uh, and our actual goals we've scored is 1.71, a little better, but only puts us in ninth, which is kind of interesting too, which just goes to show you that even though we've scored more and last year, uh, we our expected goals, I think for the year was 49.8 and we scored less 44. So there's going to be some fluctuation. It's not always perfect. The point is this year, there've been a lot more goals scored, right? I mean, otherwise, yeah. how could we be above our projection and still only be ninth uh, to me uh, that, I mean, and part of it was the penalties and the handballs and stuff early, but there've been a lot of goals this year. It's just been a very offensively driven year in the Premier League. You're looking yeah. at regularly. It seems like every other week there's a team putting up six or seven goals on somebody. It's it's crazy, um, and it's it's an entertaining watch for sure. But that does explain why the fact that we can outperform our XG and still not uh, in rank lower relative to everyone else, which means that everyone else is also or a lot of others are outperforming their XG as well. It's just been a high scoring season. So I, I think what's key is just to start it off though, James is to make sure that we keep it as simple as possible. Now that we've extrapolated on stats is if the goal of six means 62.2 goals forward. If you extrapolate our current expected goals, it's 55.4. So we're short by 6.8. So that's really the analysis here. You know what I mean? To look at it and say, all right, we need to create more chances because we're short by 6.8. But ironically, our actual goes forward exceeds what the sixth place finish would be by 2.9. Right. But again, there have been a lot more goals scored. So, so look, the bottom line is we do need to create more chances. There's no question. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to decompose and explain why that's happened. Um, and what are the issue? Why are we not scoring as much? I, I think that's really it. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind, too, before we get into the stats is for all pragmatic purposes, when you have this much, this many injuries, Carlo has changed tactics and tried to pull back a little bit and defend more. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing, frankly, considering the situation of the squad. Absolutely. And you look at the way things went early on. We the, the defense wasn't good, but it was very much masked by the fact that our offense was a lot better. We were just outscoring teams. Didn't yep. matter that we gave up two goals in whatever it was, four or five, six straight straight matches, because we're scoring three or four every single time. And so when that started to turn and the injuries and we lost some key players due to injury, well, you have to take a realistic look at how you're going to win matches. And Carlo decided that was to go back to basics, start getting some clean sheets. And we've done quite well at that the last several games, but it does, I think, dilute or diminish some of our offensive numbers. And, and this is going to be a recurring theme. Just the injuries to our best players are going to make us look objectively worse on paper. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to talk about possession and progression and a lot of things. And we bought players for that purpose. And when they're gone, the reason why we bought them is because the people behind them didn't have it. So that will be a common theme. So so the first thing we want to talk about in terms of goal scoring is finishing. Yeah. Um, I, I know it seems like maybe we're not finishing very well because I think a lot of people look at Richarlison and, you know, he's not scoring from open play. He's been unfortunate or he's just not been crisp in terms of when he gets it into the box and, yeah. and threatens because he's had lots of touches in them. Um, 
Ironically, though, across the team, finishing is is greatly exceeded what the expected goals would be. We finished very, very well, which would also explain why our actual goals scored have exceeded the expected goals very much. So, so it's not a matter of finishing. We're not the reason we're not scoring. We're actually scoring more than we really should be because we're finishing well. So that's not it. So we really need to focus on different things um, in terms of creating more chances. Very interesting thing was that we are finishing that well, even though. Uh, we've gotten very good goaltending against us. Isn't that interesting? I feel like we're 17th in the league in terms of goaltending against. You know what I mean? Like goaltenders have done very well saving our shots this year. It's something like the expected goals against should be like 22.1 or, you know, and we have like 24 or whatever it is. But the point is it's it's a negative differential, which is shocking. So uh, goaltenders have done pretty, pretty well against us. Um, so I think that's something that's pretty, pretty interesting to note. But regardless, I mean, some of the offensive story is good. You know what I mean? We, mm. we have better passing accuracy. You know, we more dribbles. Thank God, because we had none last year yeah. and are receiving the balls better. So there's some good stories. But really, the biggest thing to me is the creation and our shots created action. Again, they weren't great from open play last year. They're not great again this year. And the bottom line is it needs to improve. Straight up, yeah. I mean, we're we're 10th in shot-created actions per 90, and we're 5th on shot-created actions from dead balls. So not going to surprise anyone that we're more dangerous from set pieces. Yep. But there has to be – we have to be better from open play. It's, it's really that simple. And it's, it's again, when we're missing Richarlison for multiple games, when we've been missing James for almost a month now, James is far and away in Richarlison or, or – just it's it's decimated our attack because we know that it's made us very reliant on Alex Awobi to create. And people have been frustrated with maybe the lack of uh proverbial end product, but he's been one of the few people who's actually tried to create. And though it's not always successful, he's at least trying. Whereas you look again, we're, we're also missing a ton of offensive output from Luca Dean, who does a really good job of getting crosses into the box and creating chances for us. I think he was, you know, one of the, top five in Europe as far as fullbacks and creating chances and getting assists. So anytime that drops out of your lineup, in addition to your best wing players, wide players, that's going to hurt you a lot. Yeah, there's no question about that. And the defense isn't helping us either. And and that's why you know, it's such a fluid sport. Um, I think we're last in the league in shot-created actions due to defensive actions. Now, granted, there aren't many of those that create it, but it does indicate that we're not able to press higher. You know, we're not able to be as aggressive on defense as maybe we'd like to be. Um, that being said, when our creators are out there, they are creating chances when they're healthy. I think maybe the bigger issue is even with some of the backups we're playing, like Richarlison is having a very good year, however, from a creation standpoint. But I think maybe a bigger driver of the lack of overall shot created actions is really we're not getting the ball in dangerous places very often. And part of that is, is being conservative, but really, if you look at it, I mean, the numbers in terms of touches in the final third and in the penalty boxes is, is very bad. I mean, I think we're 14th in touches in the final third in the league, 14th that's an 11th in touches in the penalty area. You know, we saw a little bit of that last year, but that's not good. So, so ultimately um, when you've got guys like, Richarlison getting a lot of touches in there and, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Bernard, a couple. No one else is over three getting touches in the penalty area. That is not good. Uh, not good at all. So so ultimately, why? You know, you got to answer the question, you know, why is that the case? And and to me, getting the ball in the penalty area or in dangerous places really requires one of two things. Typically, if you're not generating it through defense, it either requires better possession. You've got the ball more. Thus, you naturally have more chances in those areas or progression. 
even if you're a quick counter-striking team, you have the ability to get the ball very quickly and effectively into dangerous dangerous areas. And let's be honest, progression is a very valuable thing out in the market and it's hard to find. Um, and, and so so first, starting that off, you look at our possession numbers, especially in the way we're still turning the ball over, not as much as last year. There's, it's still not very pretty. No, it's not. 11th in possession. So obviously, again, looking at mid-table. Mid-table. Still, still 14th in miscontrols, Ryan. I remember in our squad assessment in the summer, we talked a lot about how we were just basically i think we were 17th or 18th in miscontrol yeah those are just bad touches you know and right. the worst part is last year we were never under pressure right that's that's one thing if you're under pressure all the time because they know you're not good at dealing with it and you turn it over a little bit okay that's okay that's not been the case um you know shooting yeah. ourselves in the foot shooting ourselves in the foot 18th in dispossession so not only miscontrols but we're giving the ball away you got to take care of the ball um yeah the dispossession's not as much if you have a ton of possession but you know, that's why you see like Man City and Liverpool with very high numbers there. Well, we're not possessing the ball like them. So, yeah, that is a concern. And ultimately, part of possession is you can't ignore the fact is the ability to win the ball back. And we're 10th yeah. in recoveries, which is, again, mid-table. And, and you know, we bought guys very specific for specific reasons to help us with possession. And so, James and Alan, Alan, we talked extensively when we when we signed those guys on this podcast about how good James is at receiving the ball and retaining the ball in very dangerous advanced areas. And you see it. He gets guys on his right hip, on his left foot. You can't get the ball from him. He's excellent at it. And Alan, in tight spaces, defensively, receives the ball so well, flicks it on, moves it so quickly. It's, in, it's impressive. And when those guys are out, I mean... It's it's really hard. Now, Richarlison's actually been better. He hasn't turned the ball over as much. He tended to felt forced last year, I think, to try and create a lot of things. And DeCorey is putting up career years in terms of his pass percentage and is receiving. So there's some possession issues. I don't think it's it's that bad. I wouldn't say possession is the biggest problem. Um some of our guys are just not going to be great in possession. Like you can't really hold it against Dominic Calvert-Lewin that he's not great in possession sure. when half of his stuff is our head balls. Could he improve? Yeah. I mean, he could do better coming back in the ball, back for the ball. But really, you know, that's kind of how it is, you know. But when you got guys doing career highs and stuff, it's maybe not the biggest one. So I don't think it's so much the passing and receiving, but we are still giving the ball way too much. Way, way too much. And that's obviously going to... When you're trying to possess the ball and then you give the ball away, uh, I think it goes without saying that's probably not great. And you look at the guys who are the, the biggest culprits. You're looking at Ben Godfrey, Seamus Coleman, Andre Gomez, Gilfie as well, who, which really shouldn't surprise anyone. I mean, nah. we were talking about how bad our midfield was. He was one of the main culprits last season of being really poor in possession. I think Ben Godfrey, you can cut him a little bit of slack given that he's largely played out of possession. Yeah. And, uh, opposite wing on his weak foot that's going to be tricky for him Andre Gomez I mean if there's nothing he should be a good possession player he should be good but he's giving the ball away almost as much as anyone else so uh, and even Bernard a player who who should be relatively solid in possession is uh he's is at least creating away. he's at least right. creating you know what I mean and, 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 a lot of these right a lot of these guys you get you're getting you're at least getting some of you know the shoes on the other shoe drops where you're getting the creation, but some of these guys are giving the ball away, Andre Gomez, and not creating nothing. And so, what do they offer the team? Right, it's a combination of things too. If you're giving the ball away in advanced areas all the time, that means you're in advanced areas all the time. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. And look, you're going to have to give the ball away a bit to create. You know, I think that is Alex Awobi in a nutshell. He's people very easily could say, well, he's giving the ball away too much. Well, yeah, kind of, but he's also trying to create things. So. 
either way, clearly we got to take better care of the ball. You know, we're not putting it in advanced positions. We're not facing tremendous pressure. We still have got to be better with it. And again, a lot of that is injuries. A lot of it is lack of familiarity where people are. I mean, that's a really important part of possession. We were talking about it before the pod started. And Hamas made the great point. He's like, how many times have we played together, um, you know, as a team? And even, even not even the same formation, but the same players. Yeah. So it's been tough. Andre's the biggest disappointment to the, though. I mean, he's really supposed to be the guy. We know he's not going to be creative in the final third, but he's supposed to be able to progress the ball and help with build up, And he's not. Um, so fine. We need to take better care of the ball. Let's talk about progression. Um mm. You know, I don't think the possession is is so bad, um, but the progression is very much lacking. And and we can kind of decompose this in a couple different areas. The ability to kind of carry the ball forward, um, move off the ball forward, and definitely pass the ball forward. So in terms of carrying the ball forward, I mean, you really have Richarlison and Iwobi. Um, you know, Hamez and Gilfie, if they're playing kind of those attacking mid position. It's not really the right word for what Hamas likes to play a little deeper. They may hold it. Well, Gilfie won't hold it. Hamas will hold it, but they won't necessarily carry it forward. Yeah. They're not going to um, drive the ball at the opposition. They're going to look to pick a pass if anything. No, right. Exactly. Now, but I will say this, Alex Awobi season. And again, we, we know I have go to off, go Alex. off. Ryan. I, I am his ridiculous the at home. His, no, the numbers are crazy. They are. They're unbelievable. His dribbling is absolutely ridiculous this year. It's, it's the best. I mean, he still creates a lot from open play. He always has, but the dribbling this year has been amazing. I mean, he's what ninth in successful dribbles in the whole league for anyone that's played any marginal minutes, by the way, he's a 73% success rate in his dribbling and his progressive distance P90 is the highest of anyone in there, except for Traore. Um, And even better, his miscontrols, his bad touches, and his dispossessions are both incredibly low. He's got the lowest miscontrols of anyone in the top 20. And his combined number between the two, I, I think his, his uh, dispossessions, there's only two guys better than him. So the combined numbers put him like in the top, like if you, the top 50 successful dribbling guys, he's in there and has the best numbers. So if there's one thing Alex is doing very well, it's progressing the ball and carrying it. But we are way too reliant on him him to do that. Now, I will say this. I think DeCorey and Alon have that in their bags as well, too, but they are not doing it at all. That kind of begs the question, you know, could could maybe finding a defensive midfielder to play behind them give them more freedom to do that? We're going to talk about that in a second. I know I was kind of against that when we first signed them because yeah. I said, look, Alon came up as a defensive mid. He has that level of discipline. DeCorey can do it, too, but I think you won him going back and forth more. I envision them sitting behind Hamas. Yeah. But Alon is maybe he just feel has felt compelled. There were a couple of matches early where I think he lost his discipline. Spurs, we were great. And then afterwards, they started playing better together when we were more committed to defensive shape. I think Gilfie came in after one of the first games where he pitched a shutout and saying we worked a lot on defensive shape. Um, but when he comes back, he can't be the sole guy to even play as a sitter, especially when he could be maybe, maybe valuable if we look at the lack of carries on this team as someone carrying a Ford. So Maybe we should be looking at a deep lying, a deep sitting midfielder, a true number six, maybe. I think it's I think it's a question worth asking. I mean, you're thinking about like, do you play Allen behind Andre Gomez to give Gomez license to roam forward when he's not going to create anything? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we've seen Allen be successful driving the ball from deep and actually like intently doing that, driving it with yeah. purpose and doing that sort of stuff. So it's. It's certainly a question worth asking, and we'll get into some maybe potential options for that type of role later on in the show. But let's talk about off-the-ball movement, Ryan. Um, obviously, this is kind of the second component of controlling the ball. And you want to talk about 
you know, how are you going to move the ball forward? Well, you can drive it forward yourself, or you can find a guy who's overlapping you and or making a run forward and, and pick him out. So do we have guys moving off the ball? I think a lot of fans who watch the match week in, week out would say there's probably a, a, a lack of that in the Everton team, especially in the midfield. Guys don't want to really get forward, and that's why almost all of the guys who have any kind of significant touches in the penalty box are all our forward players. Yeah, I think often you see on other teams um, – if you're stout defensively in the middle, you can fire up those fullbacks and add attackers on the wide areas of the pitch to get into the attack. And, you know, with Luca Dean out, we're just not getting it uh, anywhere really from the back. I mean, Seamus Coleman, you would think him as, as kind of an attacking fullback. Um, he's more of a, a ball carrier, more of a dribbler. He's 14th for right backs in terms of progressive runs. Bad. And we, yeah, it's not, not good enough. You know what I mean? If that's, you know, it's just not, you know, we, we need that option. And if he can't get forward, is he a better defensive player than Holgate or Godfrey? He's not a good crosser. So if you're going to play someone on the right, when Dean comes back, that is going to sit back farther and not run up forward. Is he your guy? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's that player really at all. I think we might behoove us to have someone sit back and cross deeper it's one thought or just have some maniac out there that can get back and forth i don't know if seamus has that in his bag anymore really the endurance or the athleticism to get up and down the pitch um but either way the numbers aren't great there and so so look if you're not going to make as much of the runs and i think that's something that without dean in there i think we lack unless you're going to play Wobie at right wing back or something then fine if you're going to sit back you better be able to pass it forward and be progressive and those numbers don't look good at all no, they don't. So we're fifth in progress progressive distance is good, which, which is interesting because the, of why the other stats were 11th in uh, PPA 14th in passes into the final third 12th in crosses into the penalty barrier. Yeah. Right. The, yeah. And 14th in progressive passes. So even though our progressive distance is fifth, we're mid table or worse in all of these other related stats, Ryan. So how do you explain that? It's fascinating. I, I I thought it was shocking at first. I thought, Oh, we're fine. Progressive wise. I didn't think so. You know, when you watch the games, you're like the eye test, right? This yeah. is the eye test is like, okay. I mean, we don't cut through lines very well, really. You know what I mean? It's not, not that our center backs in particular have been awful at, at kind of keeping the ball and stuff. I think they've no. taken decent care of it, but you haven't seen him cut through lines every now and then Mick Keggers will kind of pop one over and he's got that in his bag a little bit. Um, but he's, you know, he's normally playing deeper, so it's not going to happen. Well, it's because Pickford is third in the league with 567 yards per 90. I was shocked about that. I mean, I guess you're not. He, he launches such a high percentage of his goal kicks. Um, that's really what it is. And, you know, Calvert-Lewin gets his head on a lot of them. So that's why it's, that's why the stats, you have to understand the context within them. If you just took that on face value, you'd say, oh, wow, our progressive distance and passes is great. No, no. And, and it's funny. Yes, a lot of the goalies are, you know, high in the league, but not all of them. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think, is first in the league at progressive distance per 90. That's pretty impressive. Now, granted, it must be nice to be a wingback that doesn't play any defense, but but that's another <laughs> story. So, but, but seriously, the feedback is, though, that, okay, fine. Is it really the goalie? So which one of our players are good at progressive passing? Like, you know, how many of those guys can sit back and ping the fall forward and, and break lines? And I mean, we've got no one in like the top 60 of the league, it's like Delph, Dean, and James. I think James, you know, sometimes stats are calculated a little bit differently. I think James is a little higher at football reference, but like, um, and James has that in his back. He can sit deeper and ping the ball. I think we've sure. seen that. We've seen the range for sure. No but question. Delph, did you think about Delph when you thought of progressive passing? No, but I was looking at the stats and it's like, 
well, I mean, it feels weird because he's barely played, but I know. I think we've, you know, when he has played, we haven't been super critical of him. We thought he's done all right. He's just always injured. He's a walking injury. So yeah, he's a good passer. He's actually a good passer. And, you know, they adjust the the metric for forwards, knowing there's not as much distance, but you look at it and you're like, this is, this is not good. And so look, I mean, if you're not passing it into the penalty area, you're certainly not passing it in the final third, which corresponds to the amount of touches you have in there. We're dribbling at some, but we're totally relying on a couple of people to do it. What I think is really interesting, though, when you think about when we're buying guys, you know, we're buying guys to be progressive to a certain extent. So when you walk through their numbers, it's pretty amazing how many of them are way down, like Alon. He's always been over four. He's been over six before progressive passes P90. He's a 2.28. Yeah, that's not good, right? No, I mean, it's so very it, bad. It speaks to a lot of things, either movement in front of him or his unwillingness to move it forward. Sometimes it can speak to us having the lead and killing the game off, but I don't think that's it. Decore, you know, he has usually carried the ball a lot. You haven't seen that as much. And his passing has, you know, been over three, you know, per game, four. He's a 2.2, you know, but he's at least improved his possession aspect to his game. So I get it. Tom Davies way down, but then there was the Sheffield match. <laughs> yeah, the Sheffield match, you went crazy. I mean, six progressive passes, no giveaways, albeit not under very much pressure, but he was really great on the ball. So maybe he's a guy, I mean, you look at Andre Gomez, he's been typically around five. He's at three, which is slightly better than Allen and Decore, but still not really what you'd want given his defensive liabilities. You'd expect a little more proportional representation on the offensive side of the ball. I think Tom Davies showed some promise in the most recent match against Sheffield. I'm still a lot of question marks about him, but uh, yeah, I mean, our, our options are very limited right now. And uh, kind of the last component of, of getting the ball forward and creating chances, Ryan would be crossing. So let's talk a little bit about crosses. Are we good at crossing? Are we bad at it? We ain't so good. Uh, Dean is obviously very good. And if he's not playing, who do we have? It's funny. He's, he's the only guy over one crosses into the penalty area per game. Um, some of that's probably set piece stuff, but mm. Awobi is almost at one. But look, I don't want Alex Awobi sitting deep and pinging crosses into the box. Now, when he gets forward, low crosses and things like that, he's he's very good at those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's barely played on the right side before this year, let alone right fullback, which he in essence has played wingback a couple times. And and kudos for him for for trying it is best. But I keep hearing people complain about his final ball. First of all. Your final ball can't be that bad if you're creating that many shots from your actions, by the way, especially live passing. And when you look at what he did in Arsenal, the numbers are outrageously good P90. So, but that crosses does not mean it's not synonymous with a big looping, send it from the wing, send it forward. I mean, this is not like 1980s English league. You know what I mean? Like it's different. It's more dynamic than that. And I think it's, I feel like people are complaining about his final ball, but I'm like, what aspect of it? I think you're being a little unfair to the guy. I think complain so. about his inability. What that really means is you're complaining about his big, long, deep, deep line crosses. Well, yeah, he's the only, he actually did play wing back like two or three times with Arsenal from the left. He's a left-sided player. So you got to cut the guy a little bit of break, but the bottom line is Coleman's not a good crosser of the ball. So if no. Dean's out, you've got one of the best center forwards in the league with his noggin. Who's going to serve him the ball? Yeah, it's not, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. I mean, Gilfie can do it. Gilfie's a very good crosser of the ball from open play when he's up front, but he's not going to do that often in his position. He'll only do it off set pieces. Right. He's not going to get into those wide areas. That's right. So if you don't have that threat from the wide areas, 
Um, it's not a concern for them. I mean, you know, it just makes it too easy on defense. It, it, you know, Dominic could probably be scoring more. Either way, it's got to be an option for you sometimes, and it's not there. So, all right. So let's take a step back. I think, I think from an attacking standpoint, we're obviously not creating as many opportunities. I still think that's a little bit lack of possession, but more so lack of progression. And I mean, I, I think it's safe to say you look at those numbers. It's a lot of the progression. It's a lot of the passing. They were too reliant on, on few people to progressively run and carry the ball forward. And it would be nice to maybe get a little bit more of kind of that, the deep passing, the line cutting stuff. But again, a lot of this is due to injury. You know, it just goes to show you the guys that we bought that were somewhat progressive and could retain the ball, especially in possession. Well, they're not here. So who plays? exactly who played last year and you know our summer assessment summed it up we weren't good in those areas anyway do we think that is a fair assessment i think that's completely fair and i think just from watching the matches all season it's there is kind of a hesitancy to really go at teams um i mean we do a decent job of like breaking quickly from time to time but there there's a lot of just purposeless possession it feels like sometimes where we're passing it around the back and a lot of that's necessary to move the defense around and do those sorts of things but there isn't that like cutting edge where we're going to at a moment's notice cut a team wide open and and we just don't have the personnel for it. we don't have the central midfield there's no one that can really there's no cohesive unit, I should say. We have individual players, but there's no like three individuals that have shown the ability to really play through the middle. And then when our wide players go down and are injured, like there, there goes everything we had. So I mean, you can see when we stack it up, like it's going to be hard to break teams down with our current personnel. That's why the Sheffield win was so important. You know what yes. I mean? To get that win. I mean, but you saw it. Like I remember the first half against West Brom, we played about 15 minutes of football, played in there half the whole time where we were just dynamic. You know what I mean? Like James, when he's jumped over to the left, pinging it back to a Wobie. Oh, and yeah. you know what I mean? And the support he had in the middle, Decoy running into the box. And, you know, we had him so spread out. And that was precision passing. Like that is the type of talent and, and skills and technique you need to break people down. Um, but when those guys go down, we just don't have the people behind them. Frankly, we don't territorially have the people to do it. I think that's a really important you know, point of this. And that's kind of the transition into the defense, because if you don't have the solid, reliable defense behind those guys, they're not free to create. They're not free to try and get into dangerous spots. Frankly, you can't send the numbers up. So, so taking a step back again, I think last year we said, um, I want to get this right. I don't want to botch it. Um, our expected goals against weren't great. It was like ninth. We conceded 56 goals last year, which is brutal. So this year, right now, current, I think we're giving up our expected goals against per match is 1.28. It's probably a little lower down to Sheffield. So compared to what our projected was that we wanted it to be to finish sixth, it was 42.2 goals against, right? That was the goal. So our projected number right now is 48.6 for expected goals against. That keeps us short by 6.4. That's 6.4 too many goals. Now, we've actually conceded more than we should have been expected to, um, which would our actual goals against puts us short of our goal by 9.4 if you project it by the end of the year. Still, that's almost 10 goals. That's a... That's a big, it's a, it's a big number. So yeah. Yeah. So it is improved from last year. Hooray. You know, we're 11th and 10th barely. Actually, I wouldn't say it's improved from expected goals against, but whatever our actual conceded is lower. Again, there are more goals being scored this year, but again, is it good enough? And the first thing I look at much like shooting uh, goals against, when you look at the expected goals against, and then the actual goals against, why are we conceding so many more than we're expected? Not so many more, but it's about three goals. So I know we bag on him a lot on the podcast, 
But it's hard to look at those goaltending numbers and, and objectively say it's the same trend. Last year, yeah, our actual goals against were higher than the expected goals against. We're 19th in the league in that metric. 19th. That's not good. This year, 17th. 17th. That's, that's 1.8 goals a difference between expected goals against and actual goals against. It translates to five goals over the season. That's just the expected historical success rate for a goalie. That is not good, man. Like that, that right there, that explains the difference between your expected goals against. But if it's, if it's a five goal difference, five goal difference, man, if we're short right now by 9.4, you knock that off. Now we're only short by five goals, five yeah. goals. You can make up over, over half a season. Easily. That is that's so Robin Olsen should help that. The competition should help that. We've seen that he's good. Do we think we're going to see him a lot more? Because those numbers are still not not good. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious if if clearly we acquired someone to help us there. We're not going to go get a goal, goalie in January. Mm-hmm. Will we have enough in goaltending? Will, will that combination provide enough? I don't know. I, I think it's a completely valid question. And, and you know, people... Pickford's been getting, I guess, a little bit of credit due to the lack of just just how visibly bad he was. I think some of these <laughs> yeah. the underlying metrics really, like, again, reveal the true poorness, how poorly he's played. The true poorness. The true Pure poorness. Poor. <laughs> the true Pickford poorness. Oh, poor iteration. God, you're a poet. <laughs> I try. But he, he, we're just conceding too many goals. And, and, you know, we talked about it. We were scoring a lot at the beginning of the season. But we were also conceding a lot. And then the goals kind of dried up. And we, uh, we, we started, we continued to concede. And so, me, but to be fair, he hasn't been helped a great deal by the defense. I mean, we've had a lot of individual errors that have, that have some ways hung him out to dry. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and that's the thing. When you really crunch into the defensive numbers, there are a couple things that jump out, but, but it's not. It's not one of those things where, like, we're actually winning more aerials. Our interceptions are slightly up. Tackles are about the same. There's nothing that really massively jumps out yeah. at you, um, at least compared to last year. Uh, I will say this, though. One thing, though, that is hard is we're not putting a lot of pressure on opponents. Like, I think Carlo would prefer to play higher, higher line, put more pressure, press. And you look at some of our players, you figure, like, Dom and Richie and Awobi is actually decent in pressure, too. Those guys could pressure a lot better. But they don't. And, and if you look at it, we're 14th in tackles and 15th in pressures in the final third. So we're not pressuring very high up the field. And that's OK. I mean, even Leeds doesn't do it that high. Now, if you get in the right. middle of the field, they will kick the daylights out of you. But um, even if you look at so there's a common metric that Y Scout uses in one of their indexes. It's called passes allowed per defensive action. And it's pretty simple. It's just number of passes made by the attack attacking team divided by uh, defensive actions, which is like recoveries, possession, winning duels, tackles, interceptions, fouls. And it's, it's, it's calculated in the opponent's final 60% of the pitch and we're 12th. And uh, that, that that's not, you know, we're just not putting a lot of pressure on it. So any sort of metric you look at, it's fairly obvious, but again, there are reasons for that too. You know, if you don't have that defenders support in the midfield, a lot of this is injuries. You can't, you can't do that. So DeCorey and Allen together could do it. But when you start putting in Andre or Tom Davies or Siggy in there, even it's problematic. It's not that Sigerson doesn't work hard. That's not it. If you combine Mina and Keen, Mina is actually pretty comfortable, at least with the ball up higher. He's not the, the quickest. His top speed's decent. But Michael Keen is not comfortable playing higher. He's, he's a fine defender, you know, and I'm not 
they have different attributes. Keane started out very well this year. Mina has been unbelievable recently, too. They're not bad players at all. They're maybe not the best combination, but they were forced to play together because Holgate was hurt and Godfrey was getting just up to speed. We haven't even seen Ben Godfrey play center Center back right but clearly his athleticism is good enough to play a higher line for sure um but but there's one thing that you've always said it's the chemistry in the back line is so important so as they've been playing more granted our tactics have been lower in middle blocks they've been much better no surprise there right so so there is some thought i I don't know if we want to venture too far from this unless we have some better midfielders we could maybe put in like holgate and mina together and and maybe play or or Godfried and Mina or Godfried and Keen and play Holgate outright and Dean and, and push up a little higher. That's possible. Yeah. But again, it doesn't help if you don't have defensive midfielders to, you know, if you're gonna push higher to create more chances, especially from the outside, you better have some defensive mids that can cover for your sure. fullbacks. That's pretty standard. And even when DeCorey and Allen are there, it's almost not enough. You know what I mean? Mm. And and if they're not in there, I mean, good luck with recoveries because recoveries is so important from defense in terms of triggering possession. So, um, and, and you can look, I mean, uh, you know, Dean and Allen are great recoveries. They're out. DeCorey is still very high. Kudos to him. He, yeah. What happens if he goes down? I really don't want to think about it, Ryan. No. So no, I don't. Could, <laughs> steer, like even, I don't even want to entertain the thought of losing him in addition to everyone else we've lost. But again, it's just, it's true. We don't, we do and this is what Carlo does well, right? He gets the best out of the personnel he has available. And he just, we don't have the personnel to play high line. So he's not going to uh, religiously try to implement something like that. He's going to be very pragmatic in how he approaches it. And so that's what we do. But also, I think, you know, you're talking about Decore and Allen. I think they have been at times positionally, they, they cover a lot of ground. They are disruptive at times, but they aren't necessarily always positionally disciplined. And if you want to play a high line, then that's something that could very easily be exposed by the number numerous teams in the Premier League who want to play on the counter. Yeah. And part of that's playing together. Uh, you know, they're all new together. I think they can be disciplined, but at times they have not been. Yeah. Um, but it does. Yeah. It lends it maybe to that defensive mid might be a really interesting ad, but, but either way it's all related, you know, the defense and the offense is related. So, so I think in summary, this sounds very much like what we did in the summer. It's similar problems. Surprise. Um, surprise. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, don't yeah, change. They don't. don't. If you have injuries, you're basically reverting back to your squad, which is kudos to Carlo for making so much out of the squad. But really look, I think it's obvious. I think, in order to generate more opportunities, we really need to obviously have a player or two that can actually generate those. So when Richarlison goes down, we're not totally one-sided, but you know, you got to have better progression. You got to have better possession. You've got to have depth in those positions to continue to maintain that in the midfield to support the attack, especially a sport. You know, if you're going to put more numbers in there to create more chances, you got to have them in there to support as well. And once you do get forward, like I said, you need more creativity. We don't quite have enough weapons to do that right now. And I think those are the areas we really need to look at in January. And uh, we're going to take a little break here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to start to kind of look at some of those positions and apply some of the things that we've learned in the first half in our analysis and see if there aren't some names out there and maybe address some of the names we've already been linked with. Uh, may even talk about Diego Costa. So Ooh, stay tuned, Whoa. folks. Diego Costa chat inbound. We're both fully in favor of his signing as a little teaser. Yeah, catch us after the break.
All right, folks, we are back with part two of our January window squad assessment. We are going to be now looking ahead to the January window and taking a peek at, well, we just discussed all of the shortcomings of the squad. And so obviously the intent of the window would be to potentially address some of those concerns and uh, maybe pave the way for a solid finish to the campaign this season. At least we all hope so. So I think the headline here is we basically have been by injury forced by injuries to revert to a very similar squad to what we saw last season. And therefore many of the same problems remain. And so I think depth is kind of our biggest concern off the top. And so I don't think we necessarily need to bring in any superstar headline players, but we've seen time and time again, when Carlo Ancelotti looks to go to the bench, uh, the options are less than inspiring to say the least. I think Ryan. Yeah, and that, that's what it kind of speaks to. You know, you, you've got to consider, so Yinzer Toffee, God bless him, um, <laughs> Pittsburgh's own, uh, you know, asked the question, long-term versus short-term options in January. And what's important is you got to remember your current squad. So um, we'll get into it. Certain positions, we have a lot of numbers, but if people are hurt, you can't be buying someone that, you know, has too much squad redundancy going forward. I think the squad is already too big as is. Right. Um, so it's probably worth also mentioning, you know, Halifax, Dave mentioned above loans out. So I, I think we've got to assume that we're going to send some guys out. I don't, I don't, we don't know the exact numbers. Uh, we'll have to get Paul on here, you know, the esque and talk a little bit, or maybe the guy at Swiss Ramble to know how much money we can really deal with, because it's a little bit gray areas in terms of what financial fair play is going to look like. You know, it should be just for the COVID impact. Um, and I think we're okay now, but really, you know, it depends on how many people leave. So you've got guys like Yannick Velasquez, who's not on the squad, um, Mo Besic. Uh, a couple other guys, Pennington, things like that. So, uh, you know, there's some idea that they could sign on a free in the summer at this point. You know, they could sign a pre, pre-contract. pre Maybe we could just make a deal and kind of move them off the books, but who knows? There's some opportunities there. But I think there are also some players that maybe don't fit real well. And, and that's going to, in some cases, maybe dictate replacements just from a number standpoint. In other, in other examples, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. So, so Shane, EFC Shane, Asked the question out there, would it be better to sign two players that make a big impact and accept the limitations of the squad rather than use the budget on five or six players? So, so I mean, to me, the biggest issue, we already talked a little about defensive mid and what that means is the JP Bameen factor. And uh, th that's the big one, because if you look at the type of player he was before, and I don't think anyone is reasonably expecting him to just jump in first day uh, and be that player, but he was really good at recoveries. He was quite good at receiving the ball. He was a very good possession player. His first touch was sometimes a little heavy, but he was so strong and tough on the ball. You weren't getting it from him anyway. He had good passing range. He could progress the ball a little bit too. He could even carry it. So he is comfortable as a sitting six. So if if we're looking for someone that maybe can sit behind Alan Nadecori at times, at times, maybe not every time, you know, sometimes you want those guys back there, or at least that can get in the mix there, especially if Alon's going to be out until the end of January. You've got to know that Bameen is in there. He's a you know 25 million pound player. He's quite talented. Maybe he may not hit the ground running and be perfect this year, but he's still very young. I think reason it's reason to say, unless he's truly crocked, he could be a big player for us. So I don't think we want to be throwing a ton of money on a buy defensive bid. Maybe someone younger if we're going to buy. Otherwise, I think you got to look at, at loan. But but I think we agree conceptually. 
a defensive mid of some sort would be a value and it's probably a need. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think to, to Shane's original question, is there, has there, is there a precedent for any squad bringing in five or six players in January? It's not really the type of window that you want to look at making wholesale modifications to the squad. I think, and to Yenzer Toffee's point, I think it's very much like a short term situation. Look at where you're at. You've got several months left in the season. What do you need? And it doesn't have to, it's not binary, right? It's not one or the other. You can make a decision in, in the short term that will also benefit you in the long term. But I do think that we're going to be thinking much more short term, perhaps with some loan moves for guys rather than spending big. And, and again, to Shane, the budget. Well, what is the budget? I don't think we have the budget to buy five or six players from League Two, to be honest. Maybe not. Um, if we don't get these outgoings, given how how, the tight, how tight the finances are, as you said, Ryan, we'll talk to the S hopefully about that relatively soon. But for me, it's going to be a couple moves here or there that are going to yield the highest return. And I think there's the thing with January is like who's selling, who's available, who can you realistically get good good teams or bad teams with good players aren't going to be super uh, ready to just let their guys walk to us. And, you know, some links we've been linked with some guys in the premier league, certainly with how tight the table is, those guys aren't going to be too keen to let Everton who are sitting fourth at the moment, take some of their quality players and improve their squad as well. Yeah. So that's a big factor. So when we talk about defensive mids, um, you know, that could allow Alan DeCorey to be more progressive or just take the ball away while Alan's not there. Um, and, and knowing that JPG maybe isn't a hundred percent and who can win the ball back, but who can also progress the ball forward. So those are the things we're looking at. And so we've been linked to several players. Uh, Sammy Kadira is one, which I, I just don't get. Uh, he's 33. He's more of a center mid. He's really slow. I think he's big, but I, I just, I thought he was going to wait till the summer to go on a free. I thought that's what he said. I'd still be very surprised if he came. I'm not saying he can't help a little bit with possession, but if that's the type of guy you're looking at, he's not your defensive mid. That's going to sit. I don't think unless he's suddenly developed a new skill set. So I, I don't, I don't think he fits in there. We'll talk in a second about maybe some nice to haves in certain positions. Maybe he fits in there. Some of the guys that we were linked with, I feel like Tufan from Fenerbahce, we were linked with at one point. I, I felt like it came back up recently. Um, I actually think he's a very underrated player. He's got some size. He's definitely got some strength. I think he's a deceptively decent athlete. Uh, everyone should be concerned about buying from Turkey. You know, sometimes you, yeah. you know, sometimes you see the players and, you know, they're tough bargains there and it's a, it's a unique place in terms of how they manage stuff. But, but look, Fenerbahce is fifth in the table. He just got COVID. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I have not seen them. They, they do typically make like a big sale in the summer. I've never seen them make a big sale in the winter. And I went back and looked at all their transfer history, nothing. So I can't imagine. I think that maybe was agent work done, although I don't mind the player, but there are some other names. Another, an, another younger player that was brought up was Gustavo, uh, from, Mal, from Machial, uh, in Liga Nos. And, He's an interesting player. I know we were linked with him. He's very young. I feel like he's 21. Um, He is definitely a sitting six. Like if you want a guy that's going to sit deep, uh, be conservative, be smart. uh, He can distribute the ball. He can ping it around a bit. He's very precise in some of his passes, uh, but he's kind of slight. And I don't think he's physical enough to play that position uh, immediately in the premier league. And that's the thing, like granted he's in Portugal. So there's a lot of good players. Typically winner is a good time to buy from South America. You know, Mm. their seasons are, you know, different. Right. Um, And so, you know, now sometimes some of their 
competitions are over, you know, they're out of some of the big ones, Libertadores and stuff like that. And the new work permit rules make it a little easier if anyone's participated at all in the Libertadores. So like someone's Santiago Sosa, Sosa, we got linked with like what a year ago or something. He's actually starting to play at river, but another guy that we need someone that's going to help immediately. I just don't see, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but you can't expect a guy that's just cracked the river plate lineup to jump in and just become our sitting six. You know, we need someone who's really going to show up from day one and play unless Bameen's fully healthy. Um, but I will say this, address a Ghana guy. Mm. I don't want to be that guy that brings up guys that played with the club. You know what I mean? But you want to be the guy who brings up guy. I don't want to be that guy. Yes, that's right. I don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, no, <laughs> um, but, but PSG is kind of an interesting situation, you know, right. So if they're going to bring in a new coach, Pochettino, Danilo Pereira is kind of ticked there. He, you know, Thomas Tuchel kept playing him at center back and he was vocal about not liking it. He's on loan from Porto. I just kind of wonder if one of those guys kind of falls out of favor and he doesn't like him. Is there an opportunity because Danilo is more of a sitting six, but I mean, Ghana maybe doesn't win the ball quite as much, but he's still a very good possession player. If it's just alone, I mean, would you go back to the well? Oh boy. I mean, tried and true. I think it's a player where you, you kind of know what you're going to get at the very least. Yeah, and it you seems do. like his qualities might be the type of thing that we're missing and would afford Allen and Decore the freedom to kind of wreak havoc in front of him. But I mean, he's not really a sitter. You know what I mean? You yeah. almost want him to went and go and destroy and win balls, but, but okay. So that extra coverage. Yeah, we'd be a little more aggressive. So what? But I mean, he's an elite ball winner, you know? Yeah. Um, and he is good with the ball and he's not overly progressive, but he can cut through a line every now and then. He just, I I mean, that's three guys there that can really mm. win the ball back and keep it. I mean, God, if they couldn't figure it out, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and imagine trying to play through that midfield if we were pressing higher. Yeah, it, it'd be a n- nightmare. It'd be a nightmare. You're not getting through any decore and gay in the same midfield. Oh. Oh, it it would be fun to watch. I would enjoy it. So Danilo is probably a better fit in terms of positional. If we're looking for that guy yeah. to sit behind, uh, he's very big, strong, tough uh, on a loan. I, I, the only thing I'd say is, you know, Pochettino is going to come in and he's going to take some time to probably, yeah. I mean, he knows the guys he's got, but he hasn't necessarily seen him in training over the course of any really the time you would need to decide if you, you rate a player or not. And so what is he going to all of a sudden come in and say, well, Adrissa, sorry, you're not in my plans. You're out. And then all of a sudden that potentially, but it seems like a lot of things would need to happen very quickly in order for, for that type of move to to transpire. Yeah. He's very intense as a coach though. You can see him kind of someone immediately knowing on day one, like, yeah, it's not going to work for me. So <laughs> yeah, um, true. Danilo would be interesting. Imagine him kicking him back to Porto. I mean, he's clearly on loan for a reason. I, it just piques my curiosity. So, and we were linked to Ghana. So now guys, we weren't linked to it's hard. I mean, I, I did this actually, we were doing this uh, some work. I won't get into details for, for a club in terms of trying to find them a particular position of need. Uh, and the way to do it from a data standpoint is hard. You know, you're looking at almost bigger clubs and guys with, you almost have to use market value and low minutes and things like that, because you want to look at their past performance, but if they're not playing, you can't look at their current performance. Mm. You know, it's a little tricky to write kind of the algorithms to do it, but it's interesting. Uh, a couple of guys that jumped out at me just kind of thinking because the teams that have the luxury to send people out on loan, especially right now in COVID, most of these teams have cut a little bit thin to begin with, you know? Yeah. Bayern is one that kind of piques my curiosity. And I remember when they signed Mark Roca from Espanol, I thought, 
I don't think he's the perfect player for us. So I'm happy we didn't sign him. But he does fit the bill. I mean, he is a deep line player. He's the guy that can play and hold the ball in between the center backs. He will cover for people. He's six foot. He's strong, not lightning fast, but he's not slow. He's left footed. We could use that kind of on a left deeper side. He's definitely a progressive passer. He can ping it around a little bit. I don't know how good his English is, but I mean, he's Spanish speaking. I mean, how hard can that be? I mean, I, I, he's a good fit. I mean, he's not playing at Bayern. Are they going to play him? I mean, I just, I, uh, you know, he made some noise, I think, a month or two ago about not playing. I mean, could he be available on loan? I mean, that is the type of player that would be, I mean, he signed on a free, so I don't know, maybe he's on crazy wages, but true, like. Oh, true. That's a good point. But it's interesting, right? I mean, that's yeah. the type of guy. That's the type of guy. I, that would be very interesting. But anyway, you know, and he only signed the summer, but uh, just a thought. So I, I don't know. Uh, another one, though, I think is really, really interesting. And I don't know. Did you watch the Atletico Madrid match today? And it was on because was I caught some of it. Magic. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you kind of know this, too. They're playing uh, Getafe, which is a tough and, and Lucas Torreira finally came on. I don't know if. You yeah. Well, he's been complaining about playing time. Right. So normally what they're doing is they're bringing on Gregory Condombia uh, to close out games in the defensive mid. Well, you know, your CONCACAF, you know, your North America. So who wasn't even on the bench today? Who's traditionally a pretty strong midfielder for them. None other than Hector Herrera, who is 30 years old. So, yep. you know, we're talking short term here. I think he'd, he'd certainly fit that bill and kind of be in line with some of the other signings that Carlo has made. Mexican player could get us maybe some commercial uh, opportunities, potentially he's, he's quality and he, uh, Definitely more of a central mid than a sitter, though. Kind of like yeah. Ghana. I mean, not like Ghana, but not a sitter. He is. I mean, but he's smart. You know, I, I he he can sit a little deeper, I think. But yeah, it's not necessarily his traditional position. But man, he can receive a ball. He's very smart. I mean, positionally astute. He's a good possession player. Very accurate passer. Does not make a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, he's not going to ping it all over the place or anything. But he can win the ball back. I mean, and he's played in you know, for Simeone for years, you mm. know, for, for a year and a half now or so. I, I don't know. I think, I know he was looking at the premier league before. I feel like West Ham and maybe even Arsenal were interested um, before Arsenal certainly pulled the trigger on Thomas Partey. Mm. But um, I, I'm just saying, I mean, it would be interesting. I think he's a pretty good player. He might be able to fill in there somehow, you know, Viva La Raza. Uh, <laughs> um but there, I guess there's some alternatives. I mean, look, if JPG is healthy, I mean, he might be the right guy, but there is probably another personnel in, in an individual or two within Everton that maybe you could slot in there, maybe? Yeah, we, I mean, we've had conversations. I think Ben Godfrey, people talk about, I think Ben Godfrey and Mason Holgate as possibilities, Ryan, you're on record as saying, you think Godfrey's probably a better fit. And I'm inclined to agree with you. Just, you know, he came up as that type of player, has more experience there. I think they have similar like athleticism. Godfrey might be a little bit, little bit stronger. Um, Does he have the discipline to play in central defensive midfield? I, I think he's like, the thing is, the second JPG comes back and is contributing in a meaningful way, then you're looking at potentially, you know, some guy's going to get frozen out from the squad and not be able to play. And so do you bring a guy in for that like interim period? I think Everton are expecting JPG to be impactful. I mean, Carlos talked about it multiple times. And so it's almost too short term of an option to look to bring in that. It's almost something you'd rather patch over potentially um, in the short term and then, and then hope you have JPG come back and contribute. 
Yeah, I think with Godfrey, the issue is obviously you're buying him to eventually play that left center back role. I think. Right. Um, and you know, like we said, if it, we'll get to right back in a second, you know, it also kind of depends on what we do at right back. If we stay still, then that becomes more problematic because Mason Holgate's now not your quick option on left center back. It doesn't free Godfrey up to do stuff. So yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, he has the background to do it. I think his game is good enough to do it. I just think he's a little better with ball control than Mason is. Mason's a little inconsistent when he's pinging the ball around, although Godfrey has lost the ball a lot recently. Um, and Ben can run forward. We've seen it, but you could tell he's a little more comfortable kind of sitting back. It's an option. If we do nothing there, it's something we certainly have to explore. Again, it's a function of budget and probably out. So, all right, right back. So we talked a lot in our assessment in part one about right back and the problem of you've got someone like Seamus Coleman, who's not making the runs forward. He doesn't have the athleticism to get up and down and he's not going to sit back. He's an okay defender at times. If you lock him on one player, he's shown some propensity to do that. But if he's sitting back, he's not dangerous. You know what I mean? He's not going to ping crosses in. He's not that type of player. Sure. And Mason Holgate may be a very good lockdown defender, but he's not going to sit back and ping stuff in real well either. Alex Awobi can get forward, can dribble, can carry the ball forward, but he's never really played on the right side and definitely never played right back. So I don't want him pinging balls from deep. So I, I don't know. I could see it. I could see a right back. I think right back coming into the season was the one need that we didn't fully address. You've still got John Joe Kenny out there. So I mean, what the heck do you do with him? But yeah, but, but look, I mean, I can see a scenario where, Awobi is your wingback, Holgate's your defensive right back, and you mix Coleman in. But, I mean, Coleman's 29th in successful attacking actions this year. Not, you know, 14th progressive runs. I, his dribble is fine, but I don't know. He likes that. Carlo likes that symmetrical uh, option, too, where he's got Dean maybe would be pushed up higher, kind of like yeah. Fu on the other side, and yep. Holgate would be our Maldini. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> the players this guy's had. Like, it's, it's incredible, unbelievable. right? Oh, it's unbelievable. So, so yeah. So, I mean, those are the question. you know. Could that be Awobi? What do we do with John Joe Kenny? Um, I, I don't know, but if you can get John Joe out, if you bring someone in, I think you could probably maybe find a loan. I'm hoping Liverpool buys Kabak from Schalke and Schalke comes in for John Joe, or maybe a loan oh. with an option to buy in the summer. I don't know. I don't think John Joe's got the athleticism, but he does, some of the he guys does, we've linked with though, I don't think he does. That. Some of the guys we linked with Max Aaron's, I mean, are Norwich going to sell him top of the championship right now? Doesn't seem very likely. I mean, if someone, I think there, it's one of those, like you see this in the championship and also the Premier League where like you have to meet the club, what he means to the club. The valuation is based on what he means to them and not necessarily like the true market value. And in COVID time, I think that becomes even more the case where teams have limited funds. I want to say they were rumored to be asking for 40 million for him in the summer and like I don't think that probably will have changed very much. I don't know what his contract looks like, but I mean, he's a player who's obviously eventually going to move on to a bigger club, but I don't know if the time is right now. And, and Ryan, I mean, you think he's too small. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, I will say this. Um, He isn't the biggest uh, and he does get picked on. He's not so great in the air. Uh, He's a very polished player and he'd immediately be very good. I don't know about his ceiling. I think some people think he's just because he's young, he's going to have this great ceiling. I don't know if I agree with that, but anyway, the point is he is a talented player, but yeah, why would they sell him? Even if they go up, even if they don't go up, the summer market would be better and plenty of people. Barcelona took a run in him, I think. Exactly, right. And he fits with them. Now they went and got Serginho Dest, who is not quite similar, but similar in terms of smaller and athletic and and good. I think Dest is a much better attacking player than Aaron's is. I think Aaron's can get forward, but is 
more polished, I think, defensively. Uh, but And look, Des has been great. Um, so I think another option, someone that we were linked with um, earlier, is more of kind of your sit back a little farther, maybe not defensively, but not run the ball forward up. A guy that can really pass from deep and cross from deep. And that's um, that's Chelik uh, from Lil. Uh, he's interesting. I mean, there was supposedly interest in the summer. I mean, he is your deeper crossing threat, man. I mean, he's not going to fly up and down the pitch and, but Lil does press higher. So, I mean, he's shown some ability to defend in space. Granted, Lagoon is not the premier league. It is fast though. I mean, it's similar. Uh, it's got good size. I mean, he's almost six feet tall. I think his feet are okay. Um, and, and he's got progression. He can play killer balls from back. So if we want to sit back and do that, he's only 23 turns 24 in February. The question is, some of these French leagues look like they're in trouble money-wise, and Lil Lil is one, right? So is there opportunity there? It could be an opportunity, but you got to imagine the vultures are kind of circling around yeah. the gun right now. Anyone with any money is going to be looking to to get some bargain deals potentially. So even though we we may could be a potential option and, and it may support the give Luca Dean a little bit more license to get forward in that asymmetrical formation, but um, he's an intriguing one for sure. I think so. Yeah. I just, again, they're second in the table, even if they have money issues. And I mean, what Tiago Jallo came in for him. He's like a winger. I think they have Jeremy P the former Southampton player to play mm. as his backup. I, I don't, you know what I mean? You'd think they'd have to, maybe we'd flip him John Joe to play in front. I don't know. That's <laughs> kind of crazy. Uh, just to, but either way, you know, it's interesting. I, I think a couple other options too, that I looked at that I feel like we've been linked a little bit, but not very actively is two very different players. Both these guys are super active guys. Alessio Castro Montes for gank in, in Belgium is 23, five foot 10. He is so active. He is up and down. He's crazy. You know, bang, bang. Um, you know, I love Maley, but he's gone to Atalanta, but Castro Montes is kind of like the mini, the smaller version of it, a little sloppy, but he is aggressive and crazy. I don't think he'd be expensive. He would be, I mean, it'd be madness. Maybe we could use, that he's a better athlete than John Joe and way more active. And then one of my favorite players is Gonzalo Montiel at River Plate. He's maybe not this massive physical specimen. I mean, he's not, he's like 5'8, five, 5'9, five, 23, but man, he is so competitive. I have seen him put guys like on the verge of tears. I, I was mean, literally, you laugh. I was perfect. I was scouting a left back who used to get up all the time and they were playing river and they were a good team, but not as good as river. I mean, this Montiel basically made it his mission to destroy this guy and humiliate him. He was doing tricks. He was kicking him. It was awesome. Like he, uh, he has the courage. I think he's going to be a great player somewhere. Um, there's some other names, you know, like Denzel Dumfries, a PSV is six two. I mean, Frimpong's pretty interesting. It's Celtic. I don't know if they're going to be able to catch Rangers. Mm. We've talked about the complications with Emerson at Batiste. I just can't imagine that happening in the winter. Uh, we've been linked with Simikin from Strasbourg, but he he's more of a sitting back, more of a defensive right back. He's not even that great across the ball, I don't think. Colin Dagba at PSG, I think that's... I, I, he's young, very talented. That would be a difficult one. So um, uh, the only wild card I'll throw is... Thierry Correa at Valencia because Valencia needs money big time. Yeah, I love him. 21 super athlete. He's very interesting. Um, but it, it may be, you know, if we went with like a younger player like that, it doesn't really make sense unless we move John Joe out. Right, right. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to happen. And, and clearly, John Joe's not in the plans. I mean, I think we've known that since the summer. It's been made all the more clear in Coleman's absence, Carlo neglecting to play him. So I, I do think that that's probably the most gaping, like obvious opportunity for us to improve but i think a lot of people asking questions you know 
not that he was the best, but a, a true right winger. We had Theo Walcott to depart, depart to Southampton. He's doing okay, but he's good for them. Uh, you know, good for them. Yeah, he's it a terrible sense. possession player. We we ripped him in the summer in terms of the fit for what we want to do. You know, right? But but he's been great for Southampton. So he's been great. But in his stead, I mean, we've had Hamas kind of drifting off the right hand side. But do we want a true? A versatile guy who can play both right wing and perhaps also deputize for Calvert-Lewin. Is that two different players? Um, what do you think the picture looks like there? Yeah, it's complicated. It's a function of that right back, too. You know what I mean? If you bring an attacking right back in, maybe you, maybe you pick someone that's not as much of a bomber on the right side, too. It's a little complicated. But, I mean, look, I let's say we get no right back at all. And we have Alex Awobi to play against the teams that are going to pack it in and play more of a wing back or Mason Holgate to sit back asymmetrically. If that's the case, you're going to need someone on the right side that could score some goals, man. Yep. And, and that can take people on. And you can't you can't have Awobi and Richarlison be the only guys that can carry the ball forward into the attacking zone. And we know, I mean, we have no left footer really to play kind of up in attacking right. areas. Hamez is great, but he's he's deeper. So uh, the people we are linked with, I, I think Leon Bailey. Uh, another CONCACAF player. Where are they coming from? <laughs> Leverkusen has been, you know, he's 23. He's lightning quick. Um, he He's finally producing and showing the output that maybe he was slightly lacking now. I mean, he's got nine goals this year. I, I don't. I mean, he almost was more of a wing in the past. He's a left mm-hmm. footer and played on the left side. He has looked dangerous from the right. I, I just think the ship has sailed for him. I mean, why would Leverkusen sell him? If he continues in this pace, imagine the price tag for him this summer. I, I mean, right. even if fans don't come back, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he'd be great, I guess. Um, he's sh- finally realizing his potential, but I think he's cost prohibitive. I agree. I think it's just one of those, like, this is not the type of player that Everton are going to be in the, the market for. They need the kind of unsung guys, the guys who are yeah. on, the, on the up and up, or maybe just, you know, this is a guy who's going to earn himself a big move if he keeps his pace up. He's going to be out of our price range. Yeah, not in that. January. Not in January. I mean, right. I mean, maybe if he's your one big impact guy in the summer, okay, I got it, but you sure. Know. But you'd have to sell some people too. I mean, so Samuel Chuckweezy, I think, is is a similar type situation. I mean, he's at Villarreal, and they may not turn something down. I mean, you know, it's not the biggest club necessarily, although they've really up up their chances this year. They look very good. They're deep. They have a lot more talent than they have in the past. But I mean, he's he's kind of that quick dribbling mm-hmm. guy that could just cut you to pieces. He could score left footer again. I mean. He's a guy that would impact a game the second he got on the pitch. Um, I love him. I think he's a terrific player. But again, I mean, they're pushing for Europe. So right. I don't think I don't think that's realistic. You know, another name too that you brought up earlier on the pod that you really like is Ismailia Sar oh, at Wadford. He's only him. 22, but they're not going to sell either. It's like the same thing with Norwich. Like, I mean, Wadford aren't top of the table, but they there was a ton of interest for Sar in the summer. When Watford were relegated, I think United were rumored to be in for him. He's very young, 22. I think he's just, I mean, his pace is electric. He's extremely dangerous. And although he's right-footed, I still think he could, I I would love to have him. He's been kind of on my radar for a while. I would have really liked to see him sign for us when Watford got relegated. They were intent to keep him. He'll make the move. But again, this is just, this is not necessarily the window for like blockbuster moves. And I think Sar would be close to pushing that type of territory. Yeah, and the thing is, I think this is much like right back as a situation where you could use someone that's younger that's going to be here for a yeah. while. You know, I yeah. mean, maybe if we get a loan, fine, that's okay, I get it. But I mean, I, I could, if you had the opportunity, you would. 
And so there's some other really good young players out there. I mean, I'm sure we'll have to deal with the endless Wilfred Zaha links again, even though this just, and he's not a right-sided player. Uh, he's not. Get him I mean, in, he's, Ryan. He's better on the left. He's good. Get but, him in. You know, yeah, I'm not seeing it. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of guys we've been linked with in the past. Um, yeah. We just rattle them off. Calvin Stangs, six foot two, AZ player. He's more of almost like an inside player. Um, my favorite young player, Victor Jaskanov uh, at Kiev. He's 23. I, I just, it's hard to transition from. Russia. Yeah. I mean, he was born in Israel, I think. I, I don't know too much more about his background, but. Oh my God, his left foot, his skill, his technique is just, he's the type of guy, if he did transition, he may not be able to waltz right in the Premier League and kill it, but oh my God, he could be just all world. Um, I saw we got linked to Michael Olise. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Kind of playing on the right side for Reading, but I mean, he's 19. He's still so raw and talented. I mean... I I, I mean, can you just jump on from Reading no. and impact off the bench? I. I don't know. Um, I another championship guy, David Brooks, is down there at Bournemouth. Uh, I've never been the biggest. I think he's a good player, but again, Bournemouth are pushing for promotion. I mean, I, I kind of like Brooks, but it, I had a This is like, I feel like we. it's really unlikely for us to stay within England for these guys. I think we're almost going to have to go abroad to the continent or, as you said, South America. Um, the next guy on the list, David Neres, real quickly. I know this is a player. He's interesting. People, people I, were really excited to. I know. There were the rumors with Richarlison trying to lure him to Everton. <laughs> That's right. He's a dynamic talent, but he's hurt. And he's been hurt. And he seems to like being at Ajax, honestly. I think he's going to be back soon. He hurt his ankle after busting his knee last year. I, I just, they've been playing without him for a while, though. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, when he's healthy, he's been in there, but. Um, just looking at some of their lineups, you know, Tadish has been playing kind of wider. I, I don't know. I mean, if the money was right, but again, that's the thing, you know, they don't have to sell in January. That's what brands always says. Right. Uh, Malcolm at Zenit, St. Petersburg, you know, there's some rumors he might want to come back to the greater continent. I mean, oh, he doesn't like Russia. I mean, they bought him for, but they, again, they bought him for 41 million pounds. I mean, it's just not, or Cellini at Bologna. That was another guy, but they're, I mean, it's just, you know, I think Juventus has a, has a buy option for him. Yeah, I don't know. You got a couple playmakers out there. I've heard Odegaard's ticked off that he's not been playing at Real Madrid. He didn't even come in. Talented left footer, incredibly talented, maybe on loan. I don't know. And Jonathan Acone is like one of my absolute favorite players at Lille. He's not really a goal scorer, but he's been playing up front more. He's an unbelievable playmaker. Again, that just matters. Is Lille that in that dire straits financially that they would take a hit? Because that guy should be a $40, 50000000 million player. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring up my favorite oddball shout is always Anderson Taliscott, Bonjou Evergrande. <laughs> you love him. I, but look, he's 26. He's in the wasteland. He's a right winger. He's left-footed. He can play center forward. Plug him in, James. Well, what are his wages, Ryan? What are his yeah. wages? Well, they have a cap now in China, but I think he was True. grandfathered in. So basically, he's making more than his entire team. I'm yeah, sure. I believe that. I believe yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. But it'd right. be interesting. So, so okay. That being said, some of those guys maybe could play a little center forward, but I mean, I'd be remiss to not bring it up. I mean, we, we should probably be looking at center forward. Should we not? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think Cenk Tosin uh, cuts the mustard as they say. Um, he <laughs> did they, has, did he, they say that? <laughs> they may say that. They may say that. Yeah. He doesn't cut the mustard though. You're right. I mean, he's not, it's not good enough. We need a, if we're trailing in games, we need someone to bring off the bench to replace Calvert Lewin who can at least, 
pose a potential threat of a goal. I don't think Chang Tosin has done that for some time. The injury to him was unfortunate. We would have offloaded him to Palace by now. Yeah. Victim of circumstance. He's just not the guy. So we need a backup. Now, the question is finding a guy in January who's going to come in knowing that he's probably going to start as the backup and have to compete with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who is in the form of his life right now. Great point. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to just jump in and and, and take him out of the starting lineup. I, I actually still think we're being a little harsh on Jake, honestly. I mean, I don't think he is. <laughs> yeah, he's not, no, you're right. You're look, right. he's not the right guy for us. And when we bought him initially, my concern was he's neither big nor fast. So he's we kind of a big Sam bottom. Well, hey, we don't talk about him. I don't care. Just because he has his coach. <laughs> right. Um, and they looked fantastic, by the way, the other day against Leeds. Anyway, um, yeah, he's just he's just not a great fit for kind of what we're trying to do. I don't think he's that bad, guys. Let's not totally bag on him. I hope him. he has success. I hope he finds success. It's just not going to be with Everton. Oh, I think he'll find a place to go, too. I mean, I think he would do, obviously, Turkey. We'd love to have him back. I think he would work very well in Germany. I mean, they have a massive yeah. Turkish population. Some of those places would welcome him with open arms. I mean, he has a big following he's not that bad but he's not great for us so number one name that everyone keeps throwing out there is uh is Milic and I mean I, I don't know what you're how often have you watched him that much I mean he's if you just watch like a YouTube highlights of him he looks amazing right and that's more or less most of what I've seen from him so yeah. part of me is like this might be the guy, you know, I know Carlo and he's kind of always been that guy too, James. I yeah. mean, he, he's, you know, has these great moments and there are times he's a big guy. He's like six, one, six, two. There are times where he looks so graceful and so skilled. His left foot is so good. He'll take free kicks with it. He has these moments of pure quality, but he's also maddingly inconsistent at times. Yeah. I mean, he's not really, he holds up play well, but he's not like, he sometimes gets his head on balls. He's coordinated, but he's not some big bruising guy. He's fairly thin. Uh, I don't know how well he'd be suited for the Premier League, but let's be honest. If the price was right, he'd be an amazing backup, I think, for Calvert-Lewin. Um, and it'd be interesting if they played together, too. It's not He's not like a pure target guy. He can come back and do some stuff with his feet, um, even if he's not necessarily the quickest. Um, he'd be very interesting. I think another guy that would be very interesting is Luka Jovic. Um, yes. I, he, yes. Yeah, I, I mean... Can you believe he just turned 23? I mean, like it's a couple of days ago. Crazy. Um, crazy. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's six feet tall. He's not small, but I mean, 17 goals for Frankfurt in just over 2,200 Bundesliga minutes. Now, granted, he was getting set up by some pretty good players and the system they had running sure. there was very good, but he is not playing at Madrid. I'm sure he would take a loan deal. We talked about movement before and Dom is good at it. But this guy, if there's one thing that stands out to him the way he plays, it is that. He can move. His anticipation is good. He's opportunistic. Uh, I would never have bought him if I were Madrid based on one outstanding season. That was madness. What did they pay for him? I mean, we looked it up. It was big. It was right? like 60 million pounds, 70 million dollars, <laughs> something like, like eye-wateringly high for a guy who's, uh, I guess, I mean, flash in the pants harsh because he is really talented. And, and frankly, I think he'd be an excellent get for us we could get him on loan have him maybe re reunite his career under carlo Ancelotti. i think that's a kind of compelling pitch um but yeah ridiculous fee for him yeah you know he's strictly center forward i can't imagine him playing out of the other position and Milch probably is too but it would be interesting you know i mean maybe we'd switch to two center forwards and play him more if he if he caught on i, I don't know how well him and dom would work together but that would be a hard one to turn down just for the capabilities yeah. um 
Yeah, it'd be very interesting. Um, a couple of the other ones that have been brought up, I, I don't think are reasonable. I, I think people have mentioned Wout Wakehorst uh, at Wolfsburg. Maybe it was just because Patty kind of put him into the article uh, for The Athletic. I'm blaming you, Patty. Um, I mean, he's really tall. <laughs> I mean, he's like 6'6". Really six. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's like 6'6", six, six, but he's 28 years old. Wolfsburger in fourth. And honestly, he gives you no capability that Dom doesn't already do much better. I mean, he's a great header of the ball. I, I just, why would Wolfsburg move him? And I, I've heard that, well, they'll take 30 million. Well, why would we pay 30 million? He's 28 yeah. to do what? To sit on the bench behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin? We are sure. not that awash in cash. Do you see this one at all possible? No, I, I just don't see it. I, it. Again, this there's no long-term plan there it doesn't give us any kind of different option. I think we do need to find someone who's different to Calvert-Lewin that can provide, maybe allow Carlos some additional flexibility if, if in cup matches or whatever it is to, to change kind of our style of play where we're not necessarily a guy who can create for himself perhaps. Yeah. And a guy like Ivan Tony's tearing it up at Brentford and, you know, he was good um, last year as well. He's 24, He's got 16 goals and like, you know, he's just lighting it up there in less than 2000 minutes, but the Brentford aren't selling him. So I, yeah. anything less than a King's ransom. So I don't see that happening at all. And I swear to God, if anyone seriously brings up Diego Costa, I'm just going to like, I can't reach through the internet to mute them. What, have people not you wouldn't have him, him, Ryan. You wouldn't yeah. have him in the team. Have people not watched him? a fighter like Diego Costa. I hate Diego Costa. He's like the most annoying player I've ever watched play. He's the kind of guy, I mean, like just for his demeanor that you hate when you play against him and love to have on your team. I don't think, I think he's that bad. I think he's so bad. You wouldn't want him on your team. I don't want him for, but like the snideness and like the, the cheap plays and like the whatever, but no, absolutely not swerve this forever take a just gigantic detour around Diego Costa. He, he's no crocked, man. I mean, I feel a little bit bad for him, but I mean, he has no agility anymore. He cannot change directions. He can kind of vault himself forward. And I mean, he looks big. I mean, bigger, way bigger than he used to be. Um, I, it's just, that's a crazy shout, crazy shout. Anyone that even suggests that there's no way you see, I think the problem is people remember him from four years ago and think, right. Well, his skills couldn't have eroded that bad. Yes, they could have. Yes, they, and they have, they have. Um, so, all right. So a little bit of a transition here. We talked to kind of the primary needs. I think there's some interesting names on there. So there are a couple other things that we could talk about maybe very quickly. Uh, backup left back, for example, to send in Kunku on loan. I will say this. I thought it was kind of interesting. I came up with the name Joshua Brene. The reason why I say that is he's not playing for Hoffenheim. Brands had him at PSV and broke into the first team. He would basically be for free. I I'm just saying it would be kind of an interesting move in the short term to let Niels go out on loan if, if, Carlo's not entirely comfortable with him. Yeah. Uh, just a thought, just to kind of buy down risk. But I don't think a backup left back, we're going to allocate many resources to that. But I, I think the real question is, well, let's mention this too, too. Left wing. To me, my issue is this. Say we don't go for a center forward and we assume Richarlison's kind of the backup. I mean, I know that leaves a short for a third one. I guess Ellis Sims, that's a big jump. Big jump. Big jump. I know, I know. But, but I mean... Awobi can always play left left wing as well, too. That's his natural position, tucking inside on the half space. If we don't move Bernard and we get a right wing, 
maybe that right wing that could also play center forward a little bit. I, we may have enough depth in those positions if that player is an impact player to be perfectly fine. So, I mean, there's kind of, it, it all just points back to right wing to me, frankly, from in the attack and starts from there. If you can get a bargain center forward back up, that's fine. But, but the most curious talk I think that's been in this January window in terms of rumors is players that I would almost feel are more like center mids, uh, you know, like, almost attacking mids, maybe that could play like a deep line playmaker. And is that just because we've seen Andre there and we think, oh, he's not good enough. We need a similar player to him. I, I don't think our numbers really speak to that at all. Do you? No, I, I mean, I think you're looking at... Maybe a little. I, I don't... I think there is. There's, I think, Allen and DeCorey are the first two names. And then that third spot is like whatever you need it to be. But I think the... There's just no room to bring in another guy like that unless there's some significant outgoing. So I think like these kind of secondary needs or lesser needs that we're talking about, these are like longer term. If guys go, that's fine. But to me, right. I would rather bring in more of a sitting or a defensive player and and have the ability to bring James in. Sure. Uh, if we're going to play three midfielders or even a that's the thing. You get a right winger that's really dynamic. Where does a Wobi go? Hmm. Maybe if James is out, that's where he goes. You know, to me, that's a more logical thing. I mean, but you look at guys like G Gilfie is look, if Gilfie leaves, that's different. You know what I mean? And look, right. I would I would love, I would love a guy like I don't know. Isco is linked. You know, it seems like he may wait and go to Sevilla or someone. Uh, Deli Ali is interesting too. These are kind of luxury players that other people have to carry. And yes, they would help, but would they be better than just dropping James in that position? And look, if you do say you bring in a Luis Alberto, he, he would be the guy that I think is just unbelievable. That doesn't look like he's happy at Lazio. That would be awesome. Even though he's older, but what do you do with Gilfie? I mean, you still have these guys if Gilfie moves, if Bernard moves, if Andre Gomes moves and leaves, okay, yes, then right. we could exactly. use maybe that player. But, I mean, this goes back to Shane's point. I mean, do we really think we're going to be making five or six moves? In this isn't football manager, is it? <laughs> no, and I mean, to your, you know, you mentioned at the top of the show, you know, Marcel Brands has a history of doing business in January, but it's not like he's doing a high number of transfers. It's like, he'll usually do one or two moves here or there. And yeah, um, I think we're going to see very much the same thing. This, this window, if any, and again, like the COVID it didn't, it, it impacted the summer window quite a bit, maybe not as much as people ex initially expected, but I think given like what's going on in the Premier league right now, they're talking about potentially suspending the season though. That's yeah. not be the case. Like there's just a lot of uncertainty. And so I think teams are going to be really hesitant to outlay a ton of cash. I think teams will be really honestly eager to sell some of these like deadweight guys, but I don't know if we're going to find buyers for a lot of these guys. And so therefore it's just, we're just going to have to keep on keeping on. Marcel will keep the turnover during the summer as he has been. And, but I, I, I am optimistic that we'll see a couple moves that will improve us for the rest of the season. And we went through a lot of names here. Um, I, I trust in Marcel and I, I believe that he probably has some targets lined up and the conversations are already well underway. Yeah. So for me, just to wrap it up today, um, I think we identified some good areas that we need to improve. I think the numbers speak very clearly, especially possession, but more importantly, progression. I do. I really think if I, if I had to pick a priority, it'd be that defensive mid. Now I'm apt to pick that position. 
because I watch them a lot and I'm fascinated and respect people that play it. I think that changes the team for us. You know, we have that depth. We can keep that midfield foundation allows us to do a lot of other things, especially when Dean gets back. We can maybe be more adaptable on the right side, push people higher with that. I think that should be the priority. A lone move for someone who's senior can plug right in and play right away. And I think if there's opportunity, a right-sided attacking player, I'd probably prioritize over a right back. But if there's opportunity for both of them, that's great. I just think it depends on outs. That's how I would play it. I would love another attacking player, though. I really would. It would be nice to have another dynamic player in the mix that can attack from wide spaces. Or if you get a center forward, maybe change up the formation a little bit. But that's me. I still think, though, that defensive mid kind of gives us the foundation to kind of attack as a group, but we probably do need another number in attack. I think. What What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm almost gonna flip it just because of the JPG factor. I know he's still yeah, that's fair. Nowhere near, but I I would put that right sided attacker. I just think if you can put a front three over Charleston, Dominic Calvert Lewin, and then someone who's genuinely dangerous off the dribble and with the ball at their feet, and Alex Wilby is, but again, not his preferred. Someone who's a natural there and can truly like get we can get the most out of. I mean, that's a really dangerous proposition for teams to to line up against and match and, and if you have Hamas lying a little deeper, providing a lot of the ball movement and facilitation, the progressive passes, which he does so well. I mean, that's, that's dangerous. I think that could be really promising and help us get, you know, erase some of that XG differential that we talked about before. Yeah. And the bottom line is Carlo has shown ability to work on shape and improve the team. So maybe a guy like Tom Davies could really emerge and the Sheffield Tom Davies could yeah. happen. I mean, you never know. I mean, it's, you know, working with him directly in terms of discipline, maybe a decoy could play more conservatively and free Tom up and he could tide us over until JPG gets healthier. Allen gets back. I mean, there aren't that many matches, but anyway, I still think he's going to make a move. And I mean, we, we can't get too far behind. It's too congested. Yeah. Anyway, that about does it for us. Hamez, you want to take us home? This is a long episode. I hope people enjoyed it. Um, we give you your whole preparatory for January. And as the names come out, we'll hit them and uh, watch the video and give you some feedback as we can. But uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Happy New Year, everyone else. I know how much I love our community and the responses I get on Twitter. So I hope everyone's safe and happy and uh, their mental health is solid. You can always talk to us. We're not afraid to talk, that's for sure. Um, especially for all the people that were really in the show and newbie blue, especially my friend. Yes. Um, condolences. Uh, I know you're such an important contributor to the show. Please don't be a stranger. Absolutely. I, I, completely agree uh, and echo all of that about Ryan. I hope everyone from Ryan, I hope everyone has, has had a great holiday and has a, a wonderful new year. As always, we really appreciate you listening to the show and engaging with us, whether it be on Twitter, on Facebook, on the discord, wherever you can on Instagram, which is where you can find us on all socials. Um, just a quick plug at the end, link tr.ee slash USA toffee pod, where you can find everything, all the links to the pod, all the links to our socials, etc. Join our discord invite.gg slash ATP. Otherwise we'll be with you guys after the West Ham match on new year's day. And until next time, up the toffees.